It's my privilege to be offering the Dharma talk this morning as a lay person, actually as a lay teacher, which is a title which has been generously bestowed upon me recently by the ministers of the Manhattan Temple. As a lay person, I'm certainly no expert on Wan Buddhism. Hopefully, I am somewhat of an expert on Kim Jones myself. And so I would like to share with you this morning some of my own recent experience and how Wan Buddhism and Wan Buddhist, uh, Wan Buddhist practice has been particularly helpful to me during the last 12 months of my life. The title for my talk this morning is Grace Arising from Harm, which we know from the Bow to the Truth of Irwan song that Irwan allows grace to arise from harm or harm to arise from grace. When we, all right, in particular I want to talk about a serious accident that most of you know, those of you who know me know that I suffered last July, and how much grace has come out of that experience for me. So much so, in fact, that I've come to speak of this often as my fortunate accident. It certainly was a life-changing kind of event for me, one that has had a profound effect upon my life. So I want to tell you about it. Last July, my wife and I were vacationing in Oceanside, California, in a little retirement community called Oceana, which is about 30 miles north of San Diego, where we're fortunate to have a nice small house there, a condo, which is where my parents retired many years ago and which we kept after they died 15 years ago. It was a Monday morning last July 20th at about 9 a.m. It was a beautiful, clear, sunny morning and as usual in this little community, it was very quiet. I was walking along the road that circles Oceana toward a vending machine where I buy a newspaper every morning when we're out there. The birds were singing, the sun was shining, and all was well, or at least appeared to be so. I came to the entry road to Oceana, which I had to cross in order to get to the little plaza where the vending machine was. There were apparently no cars around, everything was quiet, I crossed the first half of the road to the median, and then I started across the second half of the road, which is only about 25 feet wide. As I reached the middle of the road, a very strange and awful thing happened. I felt what I can only describe as this thump against the right side of my body and went flying into the air. And as you hear sometimes about how in such instances a few seconds can seem like an eternity, like time has stopped, that's exactly how it was for me. In those two or three seconds that I was in the air, I remember thinking, what just happened? I think I've just been hit by a car. Where did it come from? This can't be happening, but apparently it is. <laughs> I remember all that going through my head while I was in the air. And then as I landed in the street on my right hand and then my face and then my body and rolled over several times, I remember thinking, wow, I really have been hit, but I think I might be okay. It turned out that there was a man driving a Jeep SUV who had been making a left turn from the road to my right and behind me, where I had not seen him or heard him, and in making his turn had plowed into me. Somehow without seeing me, which is hard for me to realize how it could have happened because there's nothing blocking his view of me. So I think he had to be totally distracted and perhaps was texting on his cell phone or doing something under the, uh, under the dashboard as he was making his turn because he was just as surprised to see me as I was to see him. 
he jumped out of his car, cell phone in hand, which suggests to me that he was on his cell phone at the time, and took his head in his hands and said, Oh Jesus, oh Jesus, oh Jesus, three times. Uh, like, I think I may have killed this man or whatever. I looked at him and said calmly, would you please call 760-757-1184, which is the number of our house where my wife was. And he did this and held the phone to my face as I told my wife, honey, I've been hit by a car at the entry road, could you please come down? He then called 911, and as I started to take inventory of my body, I realized that maybe I wasn't totally okay. I knew that I'd hurt my right hand, which had taken the impact, uh, fortunately, of the fall. Probably had broken it, and I felt several abrasions on both elbows, both knees, both shoulders, and my face, which all started to throb. And as I attempted to turn over, I realized that my back wasn't feeling so good. I also happened to look up and see that there was a considerable dent in the right side of the hood of the SUV where he had hit me. There was a woman who happened to be a retired nurse walking by and she told me, don't move, just stay still and wait for the emergency people to arrive. In what seemed like only three or four minutes, an ambulance and emergency crew arrived and my wife arrived in our car. The ER crew quickly assessed the situation. They realized that I had no serious, uh, apparent serious head injuries, and they gently moved me onto a stretcher, told my wife that she could find me in several minutes at the Scripps Hospital in La Jolla, and they placed me in an ambulance. And the next hour or so was an amazing experience. I remember thinking, it's funny the things that go through your mind at such moments, I am seeing a vertical world that I'm not used to looking at. First, it was looking up at the faces of the emergency crew with the blue sky and clouds behind them. Then it was the ceiling of the ambulance in which they placed me. And then it was the ceiling of the emergency helicopter in which they placed me to fly me to the trauma center in La Jolla, which was about 20 miles to the south. Then as they removed me from the helicopter onto a gurney, it was again the sky that I was looking at and then the ceiling in a long hallway where they were rapidly wheeling me into a room and then immediately into an MRI machine. I don't know if any of you have ever had an MRI, but it's quite an experience. It's the noisiest thing you've ever heard. It's like three construction crews working just outside your head. Quack, quack, bang, bang, zing, zing, whir, whir. Uh, I mean, really, really loud. I was in the MRI for more than 40 minutes as they checked my entire body. It seemed like an eternity. And then when they removed me from the MRI, they immediately wheeled me to a CAT scan machine where they took a shorter 15 to 20 minute group of readings from my entire body. Yet another different kind of ceiling that I was staring at now. And finally, they rolled me out into a hallway where several doctors were gathered along with my wife who had arrived there. And there were 10 or 12 faces peering down at me. In the next few minutes, I was given far more information than I ever wanted to know or could easily digest. Mr. Jones, your right hand is broken. I think we're going to have to do surgery on that hand, but first I'm going to wrap it in a temporary cast and sprint. That was the hand orthopedist speaking. Mr. Jones, you have a compression fracture of the L1, L2, and L5 vertebrae in the lumbar region of your back. I think you're probably going to need surgery on your back. There is a procedure by which cement can be placed in the open spaces between the vertebrae, which is usually successful, and I will be speaking to you about that later. You also have a hairline fracture of your right pelvis. 
That was the orthopedic back specialist speaking. Mr. Jones, you have a very enlarged prostate and an elevated PSA count, and you should see a urinary specialist about this once you've left the hospital and probably should have a biopsy on your prostate. This was information I didn't need, and which, prob and which proved not to be correct, by the way. I don't know who made that comment. <laughs> and then yet another voice. Mr. Jones, the CAT scan shows a mass in your lower left abdomen. It probably is nothing, but you need to know about it. I really didn't need that piece of information either. Finally, Mr. Jones, we're taking you to the intensive care unit where we will observe you overnight. I then proceeded to spend a night in intensive care before being taken to a private room where I would spend the next seven days. Yet another couple of ceilings to look at. You could count the little holes in the panels on the ceiling. And one thing became very clear to me very quickly. That was that there was only one position I could remain in, and that was flat on my back. I couldn't even think about turning to the right or left or sitting up. And it was going to be some time before I could do any of those things. For several days, I was hooked up to two IVs, a heart monitor, a blood pressure monitor, a catheter, oxygen, and a kind of cuff around each leg that inflates and deflates every few seconds so that you won't form blood clots. I felt like the bionic man. So a pretty dramatic, traumatic series of events in a short time, wouldn't you say? Yet what struck me very quickly, once given all the medical information about my condition, was that I was a very lucky person. First of all, I was alive. If you had seen the dent in the SUV, which the police estimated had been going about 15 miles per hour and didn't break at all, uh, you would have thought whoever he hit didn't make it. Secondly, while it took them three days to remove all the little pieces of pavement that had embedded themselves in the left side of my face, I had not really hurt my head. My hand had broken my fall and saved me from serious head injury. And thirdly, while I had many broken bones, including three vertebrae, there were no internal injuries and no immediate surgery required. So I was very lucky. I remember lying in that hospital bed thinking, I'm in for a long recovery here, but I'm going to be okay. Bones do heal. And for some reason, I felt calm through all of this, which kind of surprised me because I can get pretty freaked out about things. <laughs> I was aware of my own calm state and felt blessed to have it at that point. I also was blessed with having very little pain as long as I lay absolutely still. After seven days in Scripps Hospital, I was treated to another ambulance ride and yet another different kind of ceiling. I thought briefly I should write a book about the world as seen from my back to a rehab hospital in Encinitas where I spent the next two weeks. If you've ever been in a rehab facility, you know that they will not let you lie still on your back. Uh, they got me out of bed, first into a wheelchair, and then using a walker that was rigged in a special manner, so there was a, like a platform where I had to rest my arm with the cast in it. Couldn't put any weight on my hand, I couldn't put any weight on my right foot because of the broken pelvis, and so they taught me how to lift myself, push it forward, and hop on my left foot one step at a time. And after about six of those maneuvers, I would have to sit back in the wheelchair exhausted. When it was mealtime, they couldn't lift the front of my bed, the top of my bed, far enough for me to sit up and actually eat, so I had to reach up for the food and kind of find it and one bite at a time put it down where I could eat it. But at least I had no wires or IVs connected to me. 
though I still did have those cuffs on my legs. They worked me hard in rehab, and it's amazing what progress I made during the next two weeks. It wasn't easy. Getting from the bed to the wheelchair was a major task for several days, and I really felt good when I actually could do it in one very slow, steady movement. But I saw progress each day. And again, I felt very lucky because the medical care was excellent. The rehab staff were all compassionate, lovely people. And all of my friends and family were terrific. My phone was ringing constantly. My children, my friends, my neighbors, Reverend Lee, my colleagues checking up on me. I felt very loved and taken care of. Then when I was able to leave the rehab hospital, I, I spent the next five weeks recovering in our home in Oceanside. Again, this was not an easy time in that I still could not move on to either side. I had to remain on my back and it took great effort, great effort to get out of bed and make it from the bedroom to the dining room with the walker, which I did three times a day and that was my exercise for the day. I was sleeping 12 to 15 hours a day, which was actually a good thing. I couldn't watch TV and I could only read for short periods with a, holding a book up in the air over my head. And it's funny what goes through your head at such moments. I found myself frequently thinking, the next time I have a cold or flu or a stomach bug and feel sick in New York, I want to remember what this was like and what a luxury it is to be able to sit up or roll over and just get out of bed and go to the, walk to the bathroom. And I'll never want to feel bad again about having one of those other conditions. But during that period from July 20 until September 10, when I was finally able to withstand the rigors of flying back to New York, something was going on inside of me. Everyone seemed to be marveling at how quickly I seemed to be making progress and at how positive my attitude seemed to be. In a strange way, I felt happy. I think basically I felt happy to be alive and to know that I was going to recover fully and I felt very much loved and taken care of. But there was something else going on too, and this I attribute to the practice that I've learned from Wan Buddhism. As I lay night after night on my back, my legs often aching or cramping, dying to be able to turn over onto one side or the other, but knowing that I couldn't. On many occasions, I would just simply follow my breathing and quietly chant to myself, Namu Amitabhu, Namu Amitabhu. And that helped immensely in keeping me centered and calm, sometimes for hours on end. Also, in a strange way, knowing that there was nothing that I had to do and nowhere that I had to go or be, I felt free. I was off the hook. I could let go. My only task was to get better. So I spent no time worrying about the things I normally worry about, things undone, bills unpaid, will we ever have enough money to retire, and so forth and so forth. None of these things mattered. It was wonderful to be free of those concerns. And bless her, my wife helped make that possible by taking on all those issues, paying the bills, dealing with insurance companies, food. She was fantastic and she was taking care of me 24-7. But I want to be careful not in any way to romanticize the experience because in many ways it was terrible and I would never ever want to go through something like that again. When I returned to New York and began to walk around Riverside Drive, first with a walker wearing a back brace with my wife walking behind me with a wheelchair so I could sit down whenever I got tired, then with a cane and then with nothing at all, it was as if I was seeing the neighborhood for the first time. 
It seemed such a gift to see the trees in the park, to listen to the birds. It's like for the first time in my life, I really understood what is meant by taking time to stop and smell the roses. I was lucky to find a very good physical therapist here in the city, and by November I returned to work part-time, and by January I was 80% back to normal. To a person, the doctors and therapists who work with me said that my progress was amazing for someone my age, and I don't know what to attribute that to. Partly, I think that I was doing yoga exercises before the accident, which helped my body not get hurt worse. My hand healed without any need for surgery, and if you look at it, this thumb is actually sticking out too far. Well, all that does is that it means I can hit a tenth on the, on the piano with my right hand now, which I couldn't do before. <laughs> so actually, that's a good thing. And my back and pelvis healed without any need for surgery. No way I wanted cement in my back. And now, just 11 months after this terrible but wonderful accident, I am fully, I am fully recovered. My back can get tired if I sit too long in the wrong position. But as a result of the physical therapy and a stringent exercise program, which I do every morning, I can say that I am in better shape than I was before the accident, and probably in the best shape I've been in in the last several years. So this unforgettable year has had a tremendous impact on how I view myself and how I view my life. I think it has really helped me to see my priorities more clearly. For one thing, it has slowed me down. Initially, I had to slow down because I could only move very, very slowly when at all. But as my body healed, I continued to keep that slower pace. I don't run to catch buses now. And if I'm late getting somewhere, I say, well, I'm just going to be late, and that's okay. If I'm not feeling very well and I'm supposed to be somewhere, whether at work or some important meeting, I stay home take care of myself, let the appointment go, and don't feel any guilt about it. I give myself permission to do that. And that's been one of the most wonderful things about this. But I have to confess that as I'm feeling normal again, I can feel a slight tug toward falling back into old habits of rushing, of worrying, of caring too much if my teams, the Dodgers or Lakers, lose a game and stupid things like that. And I'm working hard at trying not to fall back into those habits. It's been so wonderful to be free of that kind of stress. And now the challenge is to keep that sense of freedom and to keep that perspective. And here again, I really need to depend upon my practice, on remaining quiet, centered, meditative, keeping my vision on the truth that sometimes less is more. And if I'm going to err, it's better to err on the side of doing too little rather than too much. I hope I can succeed at keeping that perspective. So I thank you for your endurance and my giving you all this information, probably more than you need to know. But it has helped me in talking about this accident. I think it has helped me to process in some ways what I've gone through this last year. And it certainly gives new meaning to me to the words grace arising from harm. I would really not wish this kind of accident on anyone and certainly hope to never go through such an experience again. But I feel very, very fortunate for having gotten through it so well and I feel very grateful to my Wan Buddhist teachers and friends 
who taught me how to meditate and in doing so helped prepare me to deal with this as well as I did. So I feel very lucky to be standing here alive, healthy, strong, able to tell you about it. Thank you.